today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God blessed Hezekiah abundantly. Did you notice in the narrative it's his house, his treasures? It's going to get worse as we're going to see here in a moment. But that's what happens. It's my church. It becomes what I did. And now all of a sudden, it's about me. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. It can be easy to get so used to the blessings that God has given you that you forget that they were from the Lord, that they were His gift and provision for you. That's the trap that King Hezekiah falls into in today's passage. Pastor J.D. encourages you to stay humble and grateful, remembering that all you have is a gift from the Lord. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 38 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Now, verse 9. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, verse 10, In the prime of my life I shall go to the gates of Sheol. This is old covenant now. This is pre-crucifixion and resurrection. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom, from day until night. You make an end of me. I have considered, verse 13, until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night you make an end of me, like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered, I mourned like a dove, my eyes fail from looking upward. Oh Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me. What shall I say? Verse 15. He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. And then he says this, I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live indeed. Verse 17, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Now, here's a thought, and I just want to suggest this, but it seems to indicate that God answered Hezekiah's prayer, hearkened unto the voice of his cry, because he wanted him to have peace, because he was in turmoil. 
And I, I mention that because oftentimes God will answer our prayers if for no other reason other than He wants us to have that peace. For no other reason. I'm going to do this because you're in such turmoil and I can't stand to see you in such turmoil. And He will give us that peace. Verse 18, for Sheol, here again, Old Covenant, cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The fathers shall make known your truth to the children. The Lord, verse 20, was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with string instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now, verse 21. Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Now what's going on here? Well, these last two verses are very important, and here's why. First, they speak to how it is that God may choose to use medicine to heal. God can do a miracle and heal, but God may choose to use medicine to heal. You know, in the Gospels, it's very interesting. There's no real template or formula or pattern when Jesus would heal somebody. I mean, and I think by design, God in His sovereignty, in His wisdom, in His omniscience knew that if He did the healing the same way every time, we would patent it, and we would sell it, and we would try to replicate it. So he does it differently. Sometimes the healing is gradual over a process of time. I think about the guy that was blind, and he heals him, and it's all blurry for a while, and men look like trees, and trees look like men. I've, I've had mornings waking up feeling like that. <laughs> whoa, whoa, so groggy, and anyway, enough of my problems, but um, very interesting. And then, remember that one time, the pool of uh, Silam? I think it was the, I probably got it wrong. Anyway, so remember that one time when this blind man, Jesus heals him, right? And the way he does it is, he spits on the dirt, right? Now, germaphobes, this just messes them up. I did. Jesus would not have done this if this guy was a germaphobe, because he spits on the dirt, and he makes mud, and he takes the mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Ooh! And he heals him. Now, could you imagine if every time Jesus healed a blind man, he did it that way? We would have a dirt shortage, because <laughs> everybody would be spitting on the dirt, putting it on people's eyes. And then when it didn't work, oh, what are we doing wrong? Maybe we need to spit more. Maybe it's the wrong dirt. I don't know. Sometimes Jesus, sometimes there's more than one account where Jesus didn't even physically touch the person. He just spoke the word. Remember the centurion? And Jesus pointed out his faith and said, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. 
And here's this guy saying, you know, a centurion, they were over 100, century, centurion, they had 100 under their command. They were in a position of authority. And he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, listen, I, I'm just so grateful. I'm a man of authority too. I say to this guy, do this, he does it. I say to that guy, do that, he does it. Just say the word. And Jesus is like, oh, that's another one of those, watch me now. Just say the word. You mean you know that all I have to do is say, I don't have to spit. I don't need mud. I don't need anything. I could just say the word and that's exact. In fact, it was at the very moment that he said that by faith that he was healed, his servant was healed. Well, sometimes God will choose to use whatever he wants to use to heal. So this was a medicinal healing on the part of Hezekiah. Apparently he had some kind of a skin disease. I don't want to know too much information. But he had a boil. I hate boils. The only time I want to see the word boil is in a cooking recipe. And he recovered with this lump of figs. Apparently these figs had the medicinal purpose. Now, before we get into chapter 39, there's something else here I need to point out, just kind of bear with me, but it has to do with Hezekiah's additional 15 years of life. In that 15 year period, Hezekiah would have a son by the name of Manasseh, who we're told in 2 Kings chapter 21, was 12 years old when he became king. Now why is that important? Again, stay with me. 2 Kings chapter 21 verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and verse 2, here it is, wait for it, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Actually, it is said of Manasseh, he is one of the most wicked kings in the history of Judah. Now, why do I point this out? Because, let's do the math. He was 12 years old when he reigned as king, when he succeeded his father, Hezekiah. Now, if he was 12 and God gave Hezekiah 15 more years, then that means, I mean, you don't need to know algebra or calculus or, you know, those other math things that I can't even pronounce the names of. What's that one? What's the other one? I don't want to know. Just forget it. Uh, Don't tell me. 12 minus, uh, I mean 15 minus 12 is 3, right? In other words, three years into the 15 years, he has this son who would become king and do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here's what I'm thinking. Maybe, just maybe, God may have wanted to spare Hezekiah of this. 
Think about it. If he wasn't given the 15 years, not only would we not have a Manasseh who did evil, but we also wouldn't have what we're about to read in chapter 39 concerning Babylon. That would not have happened. And this king would have finished well, because all of this happened during that 15 year period when God extended his life. I don't want to get too crazy on this and read too much into this or get dogmatic about this or build a whole doctrine on this, but there is merit to this. You know, the Lord holds in His hands the day of our birth and the day of our death. And maybe it was God's grace. You know, I think about people that have gone home to be with the Lord, sometimes at a young age and untimely death. And God is sovereign, and God is love, and God is just, and God is merciful, and maybe God's being merciful. And maybe God is taking them to spare them from that which they would have to go through had their life been extended. Again, don't get too crazy on this, okay? Because I know we're dealing with a very delicate matter here, a very touchy topic when you're talking about death. But I, I wonder about this, and I think about this. Well, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Chapter 39, very short chapter. Verse 1, Isaiah 39, At that time, Meradach, Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And verse 2, And oh, how I wish there was a verse in between verses 1 and 2, like verse 1.5, that says something like, And Hezekiah laid it out before the Lord like he did with the letter from Sennacherib, and prayed, and oh Lord, what do I do with this gift? You ever heard that expression, beware of those who bear gifts? Hmm. But there's no verse 1.5. There's just a verse 2. And verse 2 says, And Hezekiah was pleased with them, and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Wow. Let's just try to process this just for a moment, if you don't mind, okay? So he's sick. 
God heals him, gives him 15 more years. The king of Babylon hears about it, sends an envoy with this letter, get well card. Hey buddy, heard you were sick. And keep in mind that though Babylon is not yet the empire that it will become, they're not small potatoes either. And not only that, but again, beware of those bearing gifts. This Babylonian king had ulterior motives, malicious and nefarious intentions, because he wanted Judah on his side against Assyria. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're buttering me up. You're trying to, you know, sort of feather my nest to get me on your side and he falls for it. Oh, I wonder how different this chapter would read if Hezekiah would have but said to them, thank you very much. Please send word back to your king. Very much appreciate the thoughtfulness. But my God, my God, is the one who healed me, and my God is the one who will deliver me. I don't need you. I'll take the gift, by the way. It's a very nice gift, but (laughs) right? But he doesn't do that. Let me take it a step further, just to kind of paint the picture here. Imagine being on the receiving end of a letter from somebody very important and powerful. And then they send along a very nice and expensive, I might add, gift. You're like, oh, did you see who who sent me this? Oh, and it got him. He was flattered by it. Oh, beware of flattery. Beware of flattery. Ah. This is the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to be very open with you. This is what I'll call the pastor's peril. The peril of popularity. Because when people come up to you and say to you and of you and about you, wow, you're amazing. Oh. Wow, what else have you noticed about me? (laughs) I mean, our flesh just eats it up. But our spirit is grieved, and the Holy Spirit is grieved. And it's a trap. And we'll see that in a moment. But the trap is being set, because now all of a sudden, you start dancing to the beat of the drum of popularity, and no longer are you dancing, so to speak, to the drum beat from the Lord. Now you're playing to the crowd. Because it means, after all, you, hey, <laughs> let's just um, kind of, you know, the spotlight's on, and the uh, numbers are going up, and the 
followers are increasing and the subscribers and the likes and on and on and all of a sudden that becomes the driving motivation. It becomes all about that. And it's not long, you can write the next chapter in that book, it's not long before you start tailoring and catering to that. And not only do you tailor and cater to it, you become so attracted to it that you can't be without it. And just the thought of doing anything or saying anything that you know is going to fall out of favor in terms of pleasing man, it's off the table. And I don't think we need to look very far to find that this is really what has happened to many whom God has blessed. God blessed Hezekiah abundantly. Did you notice in the narrative it's his house, his treasures? It's going to get worse as we're going to see here in a moment, but that's what happens. It's my church. It becomes what I did. And now all of a sudden it's about me. The blessing and the prosperity and the measure of success that I have experienced has something to do with me. And then we start taking credit for it. And then when that happens it's just a matter of time because pride still comes before the fall. And this is why flattery and popularity and prosperity can be more dangerous than threatening adversity. You know, I've asked myself the question, and I know it depends on the person and the temperament and the way somebody is wired, as it were. We're all very different. But for some, prosperity is more dangerous for them than adversity. Not for everybody, but people cannot handle. You know, we always flippantly sometimes, sadly, say to Christians, well-intentioned of course, but you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. By the way, that's First Corinthians 10.13. You know what 1 Corinthians 10, 12 is? That's the aforementioned verse about, be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. And then the very next verse is, I'm going to just paraphrase it, there is no temptation, no trial that will seize you or overcome you, but that God will provide a way of escape in that trial so that you'll be able to bear up under it. That's where, it's from that verse that we come up with our Christian cliches, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Now isn't it true that we always put that in the context of adversity, like God will never give you more adversity than you can handle? Have you ever thought about it like this? God will never give you more prosperity than you can handle. See, He knows they can handle that. They can't. Not yet anyway. They're not mature enough. I can't entrust them with that. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding of the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.